You're the only right among the wrong You're the only hope among the chaos You are the voice that calls me on Louder than every lie My sword in every fight The truth will chase away the night Your name is power over darkness for the captives, mercy for the broken and the hopeless. Your name is faithful in the battle, glory in the struggle. Mighty, it won't let us down or fail us. Your name is power. Your name is power. So 40, 40 years ago uh, today, I remember where I had dinner. Uh, it was in Lima, Ohio, and at Bob Evans, and I was a married man. Uh, when Lois and I got married, it was in Ypsilanti, right down 94. We got married, and then we drove away, and, and, and when we got in the car and we drove away, we turned the radio on, and the carpenters were singing, We've Only Just Begun. Is that cool? Uh, and we were eating at Bob Evans about 7 o'clock at night, and right here at 7 o'clock at night, 40 years ago, Mark and Diane Clevenger were married. So let's uh, congratulate them. Oh, right here? Mark, was that right here? Exactly right here? Is that amazing? And so anyway, what a, so we're celebrating a big day today and uh, thanking the Lord for Mark Artme, thanking the Lord for our wives and for his kindness to us. And, and his goodness to us, and so we're, we're so grateful. People ask me why I'm so happy. They do that a lot. People will say, why are you so happy? And I thought, well, I might as well just share one of the secrets of my happiness with you today. How would that be? Would you like that? Um, you're going to have to work with me a little bit. I expect you to talk back. Um, so I'm going to tell you one of the secrets of my happiness and, and, and here's what it is. Okay, I have, I love journals. I love to write. I always have loved that. I have more journals than I need in the journals for the books that I've read, you know, and so forth. One of the journals that I've actually started to keep in my mind more than on paper is a little book in my mind that's called Reasons to Get Up in the Morning. Reasons to Get Up in the Morning. And what it is, is it's kind of like a bucket list, only a little bit more positive spin on the, bu the bucket list is, you know, stuff you want to do before you croak. And that's just kind of negative, right? So the, the mind thing is like, you know, reasons to get up in the morning. And it can be little things uh, like, oh, 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 I'm preaching today. That's, that's a reason to get up in the morning. Or, oh, oh, oh it's uh, the men are having breakfast and Wes Segrist is going to make pancakes and they're free. That's a reason to get up in the morning, you know. Uh, I, I meet with Eddie today. That's a, always a good reason to, to get up in the morning. Or it might be like there's a bike trail up in the Leelanau Peninsula. It's new. It's a brand new bike trail that runs through that peninsula. And someday I want to ride that bike trail. Reason to get up in the morning. You know, there's a new book. Oh, good. My favorite author has written a new book. That I'll put that in my little journal or in the little journal of my brain. Reason to get up in the morning. And if you have a journal or a big long running list of good things that you're planning to do someday how can you not have a little spring in your step how can you not be a little bit happy like i have things to do i have books to write 
I have people to visit. I have Lois's, Lois, one time I had a chance to dance with Lois, and I missed the chance um, because I was shy, because I'm a shy kind of a person, and because I was raised <laughs> among people who thought dancing was quite evil. And so I, I wasn't good at it, and, and, and I was a little bit nervous, and I missed my opportunity. We were at this place called Hoedown Island down in Kentucky, and we were just having a great time, pretty much watching the kids clog and line dance and have a great time. And, and they have this religious song where they stop and they play a religious song and everybody scampers off and they listen to the religious song. And then they have the slow dance. I wasn't expecting it. The slow dance came and people, you know, lovers went out. Lois walks out. My quiet, shyer type wife walks out for the slow dance and I can't make myself go out there. I am stuck. And I, you know, because I was, I was raised like that would be evil. And so I'm like, ah, I can't do this. Um, and, I'm, and I can't, and my boys are, dad, go. Mom is out there, it's embarrassing, go. And one of my sons goes out there and he dances pitifully. And so another gal comes over and says, let me show you how to do this and takes him away. Lois is out there alone. My other son, Wesley, who loves his mother so much, dad, get out there, dance with her. I'm like, ah, I, I can't. He goes out. He dances with her. Lois has the smile. The smile that I only recognize means you embarrass the heck out of me. I'm going to hurt you now. And it's a smile. And she walks off and she says, see if I ever give you another chance to do that. And so I just want to say publicly, Lois, one of the things that would make me so happy is if that someday you would give me one more chance and I would dance with you. Anyway, how many of you think she should do that? Give me a chance. How many of you agree? Good to say thanks. They're good people. I think you should. What's in your little book of things that you say, you know, one day I'm going to do this. So I'm going to take Lois back to the, the, the Hoedown Island, and when it's time for the slow dance, I'm not going to miss my opportunity. Uh, one day I'm going to take her back, and we're going to go up in that lodge. We're going to spend another night up there in that lodge. And we're going to have dinner, and we're going to have Kentucky Brown. We're going to have Blackbird Cobbler. It's going to have vanilla ice cream. We're going to do that. It's in my lip. Like, how can I not be happy when you have a whole list of things that you're going to do if God should give you the time to do it. You should have a list. Of, like, don't you think? And that was the fall of the year. And I love the fall of the year. If you don't like the fall of the year, I'm going to convert you now. Okay? I'm going to convert you to liking the fall of the year. You're Michigan people. You're not wieners that are like, oh, it's going to get cold. You're Michigan people. Right? We're not afraid of a little snow. We're Michigan people. We know that's how it works. The cherries of springtime, they taste sweeter because we endured the Michigan winter. That's the way we are. We're Michigan people, right? And so we love the fall. We're not those kind of crabby old people that go, well, it's going to get cold. Well, of course it's going to get cold. Like, grow up, you know? We're the kind of people that like, oh. You know, right now, you guys should cue the music from, uh, from uh, the Cider House Rules, you know. And I should do like the Pure Michigan ad right now and should say, you know, we live in such a beautiful place with beautiful fall that's coming. And, you know, we can get our cozy sweaters and we can go on a, a, we can go on a hayride and we can pick a pumpkin, you know, for the front porch. We're not going to carve it because we're Christian, but, you know, we're going to do that. Yeah, you know, we wouldn't do that. But, you know, but you see what I'm saying? We, we, we love fall. Fall is a wonderful time of the year. The kids have gone back to school. I've been reading your post on Facebook. A lot of you are like too excited about your kids going back to school. You know, like, can you keep it to yourself a little bit? They're going to read that stuff, you know. You're like, oh, fine, the kids are back to school. It's like, okay, just like, you know, think that, but don't say it. So it's a great time of the year, right? And he said, all kidding aside, or like most of the kidding aside, I think what we ought to do is we ought to have a special goal as a church family this fall. For the next eight weeks, just eight weeks of the fall, just two months of the fall, 
just about 60 days of the fall, wouldn't it be something if we would set aside this wonderful time where all of us feel a little bit about the clock is speeding up a little bit and our hearts are tugged Godward because the nights are getting cool and the leaves are turning and my goodness, we live in Michigan. This would be a special season for us as we prepare, as we head into Thanksgiving. What if we would say, this is what I'm going to do during this season this year. I'm going to seek the heart of God. I'm going to seek the heart of God. I want at the end of these eight weeks to know God more intimately than I've known him before. And I have an idea here that's come to me. And that we would take our weaknesses, our lack, our need, our failures, and we would compare them to God's great character. And then in doing that, we would say, how is it, you know, when we talk about the attributes of God, often we have read books or heard sermons on the attributes of God, and we, we often kind of make them impersonal, like he's so other, and he is other, he is transcendent, as transcendent as you can be, but there's that imminence as well, there's that intimacy that he wants with us. This is going to be the emphasis during the eight weeks of this series, of eight different qualities of God that aid us in the weaknesses and the needs and the hungers of our heart. And today we want to talk about that God is all-knowing and why that matters to us. Sometimes that's called omniscient, right? God is all-knowing. Why is that important to me? Well, it's especially important to me because of this. My knowledge, our knowledge, and our wisdom are limited. And what we're going to do here is I'm going to give you three points in my message, and I'm going to give you four practical applications. And the first point is simply that, and that is our knowledge and our wisdom are limited. Think about that. Proverbs 30, 2 and 3 says, Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have understanding. I neither learn wisdom or have a knowledge of the Holy One. All of us have a sense of that. But there's so much I don't know. There's so much about the world I don't know, so much about God I don't know, so much about me I don't know. If you've been married 40 years, here's something I can tell you. You still have a lot to learn about that person you married. You know a lot about them, but there's still more to learn. Ecclesiastes 1, 17 and 18 says, I applied myself to understanding of wisdom, but I, but I learned this too, that is a chasing after wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow and more knowledge, more grief. So there's a, there's a kind of a, there's a knot in the wood, if you will. First of all, we can study all of our lives and not come to all the knowledge that we want. Second, we can forget things that we knew. Hopi is here today, and I was thinking about you, Hope, the other day, and I remembered a, a story that I wrote. Um, you may not remember this. Can I read this to you? Uh, this was written a few years ago. You know, you know, Hope's 20 now. She was just a little tiny girl when I wrote this. Hope lost a tooth last week. When she went to bed that night, she gently reminded us that the tooth would be under her pillowcase in case we wanted to leave her money for it. That night, when Lois and I laid our heads on our pillows, we both plunged immediately and deeply into sweet, undisturbed sleep, and the tooth fairy responsibilities escaped our minds. That morning, Lois came back, or Hope came back in her room and announced to Lois, Hey, Mom, my tooth is still under my pillow. She sort of lisped. My tooth is still under my pillow. Lois said, leave it there. Tomorrow night we'll try to remember to get it and leave you some money. <laughs> Hope is a lot like her mother. She likes it when people give her money. And she's not above reminding you that it's time for you to give her money. So that night as she put us to bed, she, this Hope tucked us in, and she brought us a little card. And it said, do you have, she says, do you have a pen? 
and we, yeah, and she says, you need to write yourself a note so that you won't forget to leave me money for my tooth. <laughs> Do you remember this? Hope when she was little, we were, get, we were old, like she was 40 when we were born. I mean, we were 40 when she was born. And so like, you, you're, you're older then. And she would come in at night, you know, how you put your kid in bed. We would just have her put us in bed. But she would jump up and down on the bed. And, you know, she's so enthused, we'd be like, that's cute, you know, but like, can you quit? Can we, you know, we want to sleep here. Anyway, she comes in, hey, write that down. Early that morning, Lois found the note, slipped some cash under her pillow. She doesn't have all her teeth, but she has a big smile this morning. When you get our age, things start to change. You don't always tuck your children in at night. They tuck you in. You notice aches and pains you didn't notice before. You get in earlier at night. You like quiet more, and sometimes you have to write yourself a note to remember the simplest things. They say when you get old, you repeat yourself because you can't remember if you said it before and you start forgetting things more. I can't remember where I heard that. <laughs> All those smart people got that. I'm glad God has a better memory than I do. Now, see, that's the point, right? You know stuff, and then, you, then after you know it, you forget it. And, and, and what you know, you might not be right about. And this is a problem. Your knowledge and your wisdom, our knowledge and our wisdom are limited. Job understood this. Listen to what Job says. This is interesting. Uh, Job 23, verses 8 through 10. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward, but I can't perceive him. On the left hand, he's working. I can't behold him. He turns to the right, but I don't see him. But he knows the way I take. When he's tried me, I'll come out as gold. My foot is held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and not turned aside. I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured his words in, in my mouth more than uh, my portion of my food. And yet when Job gets to the end of the, of the book, when it comes to the end of the book of Job, then Job is questioning God about a few things. And it's almost like God decides, okay, now I'm going to ask you a few questions. And you know this, right? From Job chapter 38 to Job chapter 41, God peppers Job with questions to show Job how ignorant he is. You don't know anything. And Job was a good guy. Our knowledge is limited, see. This is important. And a lot of what hurts you, a lot of struggles you have, because you just don't, you don't know what the future is. Like some of you, a young lady here, like, who's, who am I going to marry? Or am I going to marry? Who am I going to marry? Can I get a picture here, Lord? It would save me time, you know, right? Or, or you're thinking, well, is my job? You know, some of you I know, the job situation, very difficult. Where's the money going to come from? Am I going to have a job? Lots of questions. You care about your kids. They're adults now. They make their own decisions. You can't control them. You, you want to influence them. But that's heavy on your heart all the time. There's just so much you can't do and so much that you don't know. It's good to begin to say, God, I, at, at my very best, I'm pretty ignorant. And when I do learn something, I might learn it wrong. And often what I know that's good, I forget. And so I am limited. And this is important that we see this. First Timothy 6 20 21 says turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas that are falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in so doing they've wandered from the faith so on top of this propensity that we have not to know stuff or to forget stuff or to think or to, or to believe the wrong stuff there are constant voices that are telling us things that aren't true and you know if you're older you, you're why you see this and you hear this all the time you watch a movie it's a beautiful movie but the premise is a lie. You know, you see it. He's like, look at that. Look what they're doing. That's a beautiful movie. That's an engaging movie. It's a compelling movie, but, the, but it's a lie. It's, it's not telling the truth. And so then you have that. 
And that's why in Proverbs it says don't depend on your own understanding. You know, lean not on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding because there's much you don't know. And there's much you think you know that you might be wrong about. And, and we all operate with a limited or a foggy knowledge. And no one is more foolish than the person who thinks he knows everything. And we all know people like that. And sometimes maybe we are people like that. And our knowledge and our wisdom, on top of all of that, if you read the book of James in chapter 3, you see that even our knowledge and our wisdom are clouded by our own sin. Our sin messes up our thinking. And we all, and we keep, even that's even true after we're saved, sin messes up our thinking, causes us to think wrong. So we're in a deep hole here. And you, it's probably good for us to be aware of that and to be not knowledgeable about our lack of knowledge. Now, on the other hand, we're talking here about us and we're talking about God. On the other hand, God's knowledge and God's wisdom are infinite. That's point number two. God's knowledge and God's wisdom, the Bible says, are infinite. Think about that. There is a being, our creator, whose knowledge has no limits. He's never a little off, never a little wrong, never goes, oops, I forgot. That never happens, never misses an appointment. I think about that often. When I was a little boy, I watched planes fly overhead. And I, and I still do this to this day. When a plane flies overhead, I think, where is it going? Where did it come from? Where is it going? Who is on board? What are their stories? God knows every traveler. He knows the secret of every traveler's heart. I was in, out in Oregon, and there's a coffee shop in Oregon in the mouth of the Columbia River, which is a huge body of water in Astoria, Oregon, where our oldest daughter lives. There's a little coffee shop. It's built on an old tuna cannery, and you have to drive out on pilings out into the river to get to it, and then you can sit, and you, you drink your coffee, and you look out over this vast body of water where, sh where seagoing ships are coming in to go down the river to the port of, uh, of Portland. And I watched those ships while I was eating, and we went there one day, and they had a uh, a muffin I keep fantasizing about. It was, it was lemon with blueberries, and they warmed it up, and with coffee, it was amazing. And every time I go back there, I say to them, can I get a lemon muffin with blueberry? And then they always go, I'm sorry, that's out of season. And then I curl into the fetal position for a while. <laughs> like, no! And then my daughter will write every once in a while, go, hey, Dad, guess what they have at Coffee Girl? I'm like, no! I was out there, and we were drinking our coffee. We're looking out into the mouth of the Columbia River, and there were these seagoing vessels from all over the world. And that, that thing came back to me, like, where did they come from? Where are they going? What are they carrying? What's their story? It's a fascinating thing. And God knows the secret thoughts of every last sailor on every last ship. He knows everything. He knows everything about everything. Psalm 147, 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. It's infinite. He notices every fallen sparrow. He names every star. He knows the movements and he knows the motives of every angel in heaven and every demon on earth and in hell. He knows you. And this is the heart of my talk today. Take your Bible and turn to Psalm 139. And this is the passage that I would encourage you to meditate on, to know God by heart in this area of not just his vast knowledge of everything, 
but his knowledge of you. How significant is it that God, who knows everything, knows everything about you, and you don't know everything about you? And what you think you know about you is likely somewhat wrong. And some of the things that you figured out about yourself, you forgot. And some of them just completely wrong. But God knows you better than you know yourself. And I want to just flourish our way kind of through this. Look at Psalm 139, especially the whole, the whole psalm is just a gorgeous piece of literature. But the first six verses in particular are talking about God's knowledge of us. And I want to talk to you a bit about what God knows about you. First, God knows your innermost soul. David writes, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know me. That's profound. God knows the deepest thoughts of your heart. Look at verse 2. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, and you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows you, your innermost soul. He knows your thoughts. He knows where you've been and where you're going. Look at verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. He knows everywhere you've ever been. And this is in the context of a benevolent approach. God's not saying, I know you and you're in trouble. And that's true, but there's more to the story than that. He's saying, I know you intimately and I love you. That's the idea. He knows where you've been, where you're going. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. That's probably really hard work for me. Anyway, because I say a lot, you know what I'm saying? Verse, f- verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. He knows what you said, but he, he knows what you're going to say. So he knows your innermost soul. He knows the deepest thoughts of your heart. He knows where you've been and where you're going. He knows what you're going to say and what you have said. The Bible says in this psalm that he has completely surrounded your life, completely surrounded your life. Think about this. This is the word of God. Talking about the God of the Bible, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. How should you feel about that? Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. He knows things about you that you don't even know can be known because his knowledge of you is beyond your ability to understand. That's how much he knows you. He understands you better than you understand yourself. He always will. Even though you may not fully understand him, he understands you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your past. He knows your future. He knows your ways. You know how this is when you know somebody, Lois and I, since this is our anniversary, would you allow me? I can predict a lot of what Lois is going to do because I've lived with her for 40 years and I've been with her for 41 years. And I can predict a lot about her ways. I know what she's going to like and not like. Like today, she, last night she said, where are we going to eat today? And I had a little, I, I like to kid with her. She doesn't really like it that much. And I still do it. I say, I got to quit. Um, you know, like I like to tell her one thing, like a joke. It's actually a not true, you know. I did that anniversary. I said, hey, you don't mind. We don't have much money. You mind if we go to this little hotel? And she's like, no, that's fine. But I was lying because I rented someplace else. But that's an okay lie. I mean, it's, <laughs> no, it's not. It's probably not good. And, and then I realized she would like to have known ahead of time 
where she, right, where she was going so she could have prepared for that. She's happy and joyful as a little child when she saw it. She was really sweet about it. But I think, oh yeah, tell her next time. Don't surprise her. She doesn't want to be surprised. She wants to know she's supposed to bring her bathing suit. You know, there's a hot tub in the place. So, you know, that, that thing. And so, uh, so we, so, you, but, you, but God knows you like way beyond that. He loves you and he knows what you're going to do and what you're going to say and what you think and what you like and how you're wired. He knows your ways. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's what the Bible says. He knows you. So think about this. Remember the first point. Your knowledge is limited. And, and the second point, his knowledge is not limited. It's unlimited. It's infinite. And it's specifically his knowledge of you. Your knowledge of you is limited and his knowledge of you is infinite. Now think about that. Smart people would think, so what's the, what is the logical inference if I don't know me, but there's somebody who does know me? Huh, we'll get to that. He knows your weaknesses. He, I love this, Psalm 103, 14. He remembers our frame. He knows we're dust. I love that about him. I know you can. I still love you. You're, you know, remember I was like, say, you're a jerk, but you're my jerk, you know, that's that. Um, and he knows our fears, and he knows our sins, and he knows our secrets. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, things are naked and open to the eyes. Before him. He knows your foolishness. He knows all the foolish, crazy things you ever did and you want to forget about. When I was a kid, two times I ran my bike into a car. I don't mean a car ran into me. I mean, well, one time a car ran into me. Twice I ran into a car. One time I was, I was distracted because I found a turtle and my sister was behind me and I was riding my bike with this turtle going, hey, look at my turtle. And she's like, ah, ah, ah. Which, which being interpreted meant, look out, you're going to run into a car. But she wasn't saying that. It was just kind of making guttural noises. I thought she was admiring my turtle. So I was like looking back like, what? Bam! I just like slammed in the back of this car going really fast. Landed on the trunk of this car. The turtle, I can still see it on its back spinning, you know, down there. It's like the foolish things in my, that I did. Another time, I, I, was, I was in a hurry to collect for my paper out, and I just... The car is always parked the same place, and I just turned right into the car. And, and then I was writhing on the ground, you know, groaning. My little brother came out. I was like, what, you, what happened? I go, I ran into the car. They go, the car's always there. I mean, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't want to answer questions right now. You know, I hurt too bad. Another time, my dad always said to me, you know, whenever you mow the lawn and you, you hurry all the time, and, you, you know, you need to slow down because, you know, it's dangerous. You spill gas around the outside. Can you imagine where this story is going? You spill gas around the outside of the mower, and then what can happen is there's a spark. You know, you pull that spark if it ignites that gas, you, know, you can have a fire right on the mower. I'm like, oh yeah. One day some guests were coming over, uh, you know, actually a volunteer fire uh, fighter, um, and uh, <laughs> they were cutting. True, Charlie Davis, the guy's name, coming over to visit, and I was hurrying to get the lawn mowed, and I spilled some gas. I thought, hey, it ain't gonna happen, you know. I remember pulling that cord, and that thing just beautiful, just super like, <clears throat> thirty feet in the air, man. Try it sometime. 30 feet in the air, fire just going up. I go, holy smoke, dad was right, no pun intended. There's fire going up in the air. And I go, wow, that's it. Burn up, I have to mow the lawn for a while. That thing was just torched, going up like that. And I look over, Charlie Davis is leaning on the back fence going, like watching it. He goes, put some baking soda on that. And I'm like, baking soda? I'm like, how do you find baking soda? You know, I don't even know enough to clean it. I've done a lot of foolish things. You don't know them, or I wouldn't be your pastor. But God knows them. But God knows every foolish thing you've ever done. 
and he still likes you. That's crazy right there. Is that cool? Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're an idiot, but you're his idiot. And so you're so dumb, but he's so smart. You see, um, he knows your failures. All kidding aside, he knows the darkest failures. He knows that. You don't want people to know. I get it. You don't want people to know the mistakes and regrets you've had, the scars and the fears and the tears and the sorrows. I get that. Nobody wants to go over that stuff. God leans into that with a perfect knowledge. He knows all that. You never surprise him. You never make him like, oh, no. He knew that. He knows that. This is wonderful. You know, the, the, the Psalms 56 and 8 says that he, that he uses this uh, image. He captures our tears. You know, there's a thing called a lac lacrimatory. A lacrimatory. It's a bottle that people catch tears. There was a, did you know that there was a, there was a, um, uh, custom when a person would go away uh, to war and, and you, you would weep for them and you would catch their tears and when they came back you'd show them look I wept for you I have the, a bottle of your tears we may not have done that but have we not all had loved ones that we wept for them God says that about us I've captured your tears in a bottle I know you lost your job I know that hurts I'm hurting with you on that I know your kids are stray. I know your heart is broken about that. My heart is broken about that. You aren't alone. I know you're sad about what you did. There's not a boy here. There's not a teenage boy here that's done anything that surprises God or puts him off of God's radar, the radar of God's love. You might think, oh no, if God knew my darkest thoughts, he would reject me. No, no, he does know your darkest thoughts. And he came looking for you. He came looking for you. It's a sweet thing to be able to tell people. And your worst, and your worst time, God sent his son Jesus to come looking for you. We could talk about that for a bit, but we've got to keep moving. He names the stars. I think we mentioned that, the fallen sparrow. He notices the fallen sparrow. He knows our good deeds. He knows our bad deeds. So the depth, that's why Paul gets to Romans 11 and says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, his ways are past finding out. Like you, you aren't going to know how much God knows. Now, what is the logical inference from this? If we are ignorant and lacking in knowledge and wisdom, and the God who loves us is infinite in his knowledge and wisdom, what would be the natural inference from that? You want to get to know him so that he can tell you about you. And that's the third thing. Intimacy with God is the only way of wisdom. That is why the Proverbs say it's impossible to be wise without God. And we tend to think, wait a minute, I know lots of smart people that don't even believe in God. Well, they're not very smart, but right, they're, they're, they're considered smart in the world, they degrees, but they say, I don't even believe in God. But the Bible there, in Proverbs, you know, it talks about knowledge and understanding and wisdom. It's a little bit, knowledge is like facts, and understanding is, you know, kind of understanding what the facts mean, and wisdom is how to apply the things, how to apply those facts. And the Bible teaches this, without a fear of God, there is no wisdom or knowledge or understanding. You may know the facts, but you won't know how, what they mean or how to apply them. And that is obvious if you look around the world that we live in. God knows everything, and that's only good news because he is loving, and he has offered his love to you. And, we, and you know this, right? You, you've heard this before, that his, his great offering of his love to you was through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when you think of your ignorance and God's wisdom, you want to think, and the answer is Jesus Christ. Because he puts me in right relationship with the infinite 
all-knowing God of the universe who knows me and he keeps me out of the deep weeds or he's with me in the deep weeds. Romans 8, 32. What shall we say these things? If God is for us, who can, yeah, that's good, isn't it? If God is for us, who does it matter who's against us? God is for us. He didn't spare his own son. There it is. But he delivered him up for us all. If he would give us his son, there's nothing he wouldn't give us. This is what the Bible says about God. So he's all-knowing, but he's also a benevolent disposition toward us through his son Jesus. His wrath abides on those who reject his son Jesus. And that might be true about you right now. Under the wrath of God, or under the mercy of God, depending on your treatment of his son Jesus, your belief in him. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The path to covering your ignorance is knowing God who knows everything. You see that? Ephesians 1.17, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and a knowledge of him. God can supernaturally give you a spirit of revelation and a knowledge of God so that you know God and he knows everything. Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, what did they say? They've been with Jesus. They're unlearned and ignorant men, but they've been with Jesus. That's what you want people to say about you. You know, he's not that sharp, but there's something about him. What is that? How does she land on her feet and make decisions like that? What is it about? What is that fragrance about that lady that people want to be around her and, the, and she speaks truth? She didn't get that from herself. She got that from the Lord. She got that from the Spirit. That's what you want. This fall, this autumn, is the leaves turn and come out of the trees and the, and, the, and, the, and the air cools and we all have that sense of the swift passing of life. Get to know the God who knows you. He created those things in creation that tug your heart toward him, that you would get to know him. When you see those leaves flutter, you know, down from the tree, first in a little trickle, and then in big bushel baskets, and when you smell the fall smells and try out your fall recipes, let that all tug on your heart toward God. Let that all tug your heart toward God, that you would say, this is a season, this is a brief season in which I will know you because you know me. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 says it plainly, in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to be smart? you got to know Jesus. You want to be wise? You know Jesus. Isaiah 49 in the New Living Translation 15 and 16 says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she is born? Even if that were possible, I will never forget you. Look, I've engraved, engraved your name on the palm of my hands. God says to us. So can... So can I give you some suggestions? Four simple suggestions. Uh, <clears throat> I just looked up and it's chapter 12, which I'm never supposed to refer to while I'm speaking. Um, so I'll do this quickly. I think you want to hear these things. I'm saying say a story, and I'll say it in four quick things. This is a quick story. You've heard before. I want to remind you. You've heard me tell a story that I made up about a grandfather taking his little grandson for a walk and then it gets dark and the boy wants to go home because he can't find his way home and the grandpa says take my hand because you don't need to know your way home you just need to be with me remember that story would you remember that you would you remember that just like I don't know the way home God says I don't want you to know the way to home I want you to just be with me because I always know the way home with God you don't need a GPS he's sitting right over there he's like come on let's come with me how beautiful is that that's what he's saying so these four things just four quick things first live with a reverent awareness of God be the kind of person, develop into the kind of person that's always God conscious, not just on Sunday, you know, every day, all the time, that kind of person. Not the weird, flaky, you know, nutbake, 
fruitcake type person. Don't do that. If you do that, say you go to church somewhere else. But anyway, I'm talking about just a really spiritually sensitive person that's like, that, like I'll give you an example. I'm in Oregon at a coffee shop, and a lady comes in, and she doesn't have any teeth, and she's not pretty. She's a toothless woman. Her hair isn't clean. And she walks in, and I'm thinking, she's probably going to bum some money for a coffee or something. She gets her coffee, and she goes over and sits down. The guy I'm waiting for, Mike Slivkoff, he's a pastor out there, he comes in, and he's coming to see me, right? I come from another state. I live in Michigan. He's in Oregon. But before he says anything to me, he's like, Mary, 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 Mary. He walks over. How you doing? Ken, I want you to meet Mary. I go over, and he goes, Mary, this is Ken Pierpont. He's a friend of mine. Ken, this is Mary. We, we hiked to the top of Mount St. Helens together. We've been around. She's really special to me. I just felt the presence of the Lord in that. I felt the presence of the Lord. And I thought, I want to be that guy. I want to be like that. I want to be the kind of person that's Jesus, like Jesus, that loves people, that really does the Jesus stuff. Not just talks about it until everybody wants to throw up, you know, but really actually does it. And, and, and lives with a, with a God awareness, a reverent God awareness. I think that's why the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is an awareness that God, of God's presence, a reverent awareness of his presence all the time. Get it? So I think that'd be practical. Tip number one is live in the fear of the Lord with an awareness of his presence 24-7 all the time. You know, you're stuck. Lois and I had a problem, and we can't figure it out. And I said, let's stop and pray, because I'm totally clueless about this particular problem. It's a mechanical thing. And I said, Lord, help us. We're, we don't know. I don't know. I said, Lord, you know me. I don't have any idea where this problem's coming from. And Lois came to me the other day, and she says, I think I solved it. And she told me the answer. And I was like, God did that. I mean, yeah, he helped you, right? And, and like, showed you that. I just know, we, didn't we? We prayed, God, and we couldn't figure it out. And God, I thought, oh my goodness, he cares about that little stuff. Uh, he really does. I, I, would, wouldn't it be something to be the kind of church that's just filled with people like that, that are like God aware, and that are sensitive to the Spirit, and they live their, their, all their days like that? Not like the icky kind, but the sweet kind, right? Second, receive wisdom that comes from his word. You knew this was coming, right? You want to know what God says, read his word. It's like, get a Bible, read it. I got a new Bible. Um, I do this a lot, and not this one. This is new, but it's not as new as the new one. Um, and, and I decided, I'm going to read through that. I got, it has two ribbons. It has an Old Testament ribbon and a New Testament ribbon. And here's what I'm imagining my fall is like. I'm out on the porch, and the leaves are turning, and this beautiful cool fall, Michigan like nowhere. Who would ever leave Michigan in October, right? And I got my new leather Bible that I bought, and I'm moving the ribbons through that, and just, that's like, and I'm just taking time to go talk to my soul, God, because every word of this is, is truth. I'm getting bathed and washed in truth. And what a great time the fall would be for you to get a new Bible or get one of your old Bibles out and just say, I'm just going to read through my Bible. So Psalm 119, 19, 99 says, I have more understanding than teachers because your word has been my meditation. Uh, if you're back in school, you want to be smarter than your teachers? That's how you do it, right there. Psalm 119.99, you have God's word on it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. And 2 Timothy 3.15, you know what it says. From childhood, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise. In simple ways, like I was eating a bagel in a coffee shop one time, and it was really good. I thought, man, that was a good bagel. It was really good. I thought, I, I think I'd eat another one of those because uh, it was so good and I literally looked at my Bible and it was a passage about drunkards I'm like I'm glad I'm not a drunkard and then right next to it it said and gluttons and I thought okay so I won't eat another bagel <laughs> so 
like the, the word is so good. And then number three, request, request wisdom from God in prayer. This is very simple. Live with a God awareness. Read your Bible. God, I want to know you. Read my Bible. Talk to God. What does it say? Someone, uh, uh, James 1.5. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Proverbs says, trust the Lord with your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Ask God for wisdom. If something's broken, you can't fix it. Get somebody smart. Or, you know, if you can't get a hold of somebody smart or you don't have the money, ask God. He, he, he may help you. Or he may tell you, call a qualified repairman and pay him. He should feed his kids. And it might be that. And then number four is join others in seeking God. Listen to this. 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Community, most of the Bible is written to communities, not to individuals. And it's time we remembered this. This is what you're doing. I commend you for you, you know, we're all just a little weird, but we're all seeking the Lord together. And together, even with a little bit of weirdness, a little bit of odd, you know, everybody's a little eccentric, everybody's got their troubles. Some of you have troubles with, you know, I could list a, a whole, and, and the kinds of things you say, I don't know if I want to be their friend, they got this problem, they got, we all have that. But what is interesting is when you put us all together, God has promised that his Holy Spirit will work among us. And that's why it says, pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. And so that I would leave you in a way that would be memorable to you, let me just tell you this. Years ago, in the fall of the year, I noticed that our youngest son, Wesley, I didn't feel as close to him as I wanted to feel close to him. I loved him, I know he loved me, but I sensed there's a distance. And so what I did was I, I made up my mind that I was going to nurture my relationship with him in a really specific way. So what I did, and this is, I'm telling you this so that you'll do the same thing with God. And so they say this, and, and that is, I decided I'm going to move my schedule around. I'm going to clear my schedule so that when he has a, football's important to him. And football's what he's thinking about right now. Football was really important. So I made up my mind, I'm going to move my schedule around unless somebody dies or goes to the hospital, gets married, I have to be there. I'll schedule that stuff for another time. But about 3.30, I would get in my car, I would leave the office, and I would drive where Wesley was practicing football. And the fall of the year, every night, I would drive to that place where he was practicing football, and I would stand by the fence, and I would watch everything he did. And I'd watch his drills, I'd watch his running, watch everything he did. I never got distracted, took my eye off what he was doing. When it was game day, I went to the game, and I woke up and down the sideline. It was that irritating dad, you know. Wherever he was in the game, I was, and he'd get tackled, he would look up, he would see me stand there. I made up my mind that he was going to know that fall. He was going to know I adored him. I loved him. I paid attention to him. On the way home, I'd say, how was the practice today? How did it go? What do you think? You know, if he caught a ball, I'd say, man, that was an amazing catch. Or if there was a bad call, I saw that. It was a bad call, you know. And we would talk about that. Now Wesley lives in Texas. I don't even get to see him until Thanksgiving. They had a baby we haven't seen yet. I'm glad I took some time. He called yesterday to talk to his mom and me, and there was love in his voice, and there was respect in his voice, tenderness in his voice. We can cultivate love with people. We can cultivate love with God. You can cultivate love with God. That's what I'm talking about. Can I challenge you? In the fall, just maybe for the next eight weeks in particular, next 60 days in particular. You say, God, I'm going to pay special attention to you. I'm going to give special affection to you. 
when you look up, I'm going to be looking at you. I'm going to be listening to you. I'm going to be loving you. I want to know you more. And you know what would happen? All those areas of ignorance and foolishness and mistakes that you make, they'd be helped because he's so wise and he's so smart. And that's why David, when he gets to the end of Psalm 139, and he says all these wonderful things that he says, he ends up by saying, God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and keep me on the way that's everlasting. Pray with me. While I pray, we're going to have uh, folks that are going to come to the front while I'm praying, and they'll be here to pray with you in case you need somebody to pray with you. You need somebody to maybe share a burden with you. They're good people who love you, and they'll pray for you. Father in heaven, stand please while we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, especially this rich few verses in Psalm 139 that make this amazing promise that you know us and that you know us in love, that you care about us. Help us, I pray, now, in the next eight weeks in particular, in the next 60 days, the next two months, as beautiful fall rolls into Michigan, that we would give our hearts to you in a special way, that we would know you by heart. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come to cure